Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you and praise you. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. I pray that our hearts would be filled with joy as we remember what you did for us. I pray also that we would remember the cost and that we would deeply consider what the events of Good Friday and Easter mean for us as we live today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We don't like it when there's an injustice. Am I right on that? <laughs> what happens if you get your cell phone bill and it's $100 more than you thought it was supposed to be? Do you say, oh, that's no problem? Or do you get right on the phone and say, hey, somebody made a mistake, fix this? Or uh, if you're in the nursery and one four-year-old is playing with a toy and another four-year-old comes and takes that toy away, what happens next? Four-year-old number one says, that's mine, give it back to me. Who, who, who taught that four-year-old how to say that? Where did that come from? Just this, this deep sense of justice in us, perhaps we would say, or this deep sense of not wanting to be wrong. In our nation, there's something that's happened recently that has caused people to cry out injustice. In Florida, there's that case, I'm sure many of you are aware of what's happening. It's the case of Trayvon Martin, who was shot and killed by George Zimmerman. And now we don't know all the, de- I don't know all the details at least. We don't know what happened when, when George approached Trayvon. What we do know is that it's a tragedy that that 17-year-old shouldn't have died. All he had was Skittles and iced tea in his hand. And uh, George Zimmerman thought that he looked suspicious. And again, we don't know what happened in the confrontation there, but George Zimmerman shot and killed Trayvon Martin. And the outrage of this, at least what I hear the people who are outraged saying, is that George Zimmerman hasn't been arrested yet. Why is he free? He shot and killed this man. Now, the police are doing an investigation, but there's outrage over this sense of a a boy is dead and his killer is still walking free. Can't we do something about that? Because it feels wrong. It feels like something happened and it needs to be punished. That would be justice, right? Well, we're going to look at the story of Easter from the perspective perspective of justice today. I want to ask the question, did Jesus deserve to die? I want to look at that question from four different angles. We're going to look at four different groups of people as they interact with that question. We're going to be looking at John 19, 1 through 16. We've jumped in the middle of the context. So this is after Judas had already betrayed Jesus. This is after the Sanhedrin had already convicted him of blasphemy. And then the Sanhedrin brought him to Pontius Pilate, and we're jumping into the middle of that interaction there with Pontius Pilate. John 19, 1 through 16, and and this is in your bulletin, at least uh, starting in verse 4, it's in your bulletin. We didn't have room for all of it. I'm going to start in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Now we're at verse 4. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! 
But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Okay, again, the question I want to ask today, did Jesus deserve to die? We'll look at it from four perspectives. The first one is the Jewish leaders. So number one is the Jewish leaders' answer. And just a quick note, when I say Jews here, I'm talking about the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and I use the word Jews because that's the word that the Apostle John uses in his Gospel. For quite a while, Jesus had been getting on the nerves of these Jewish leaders, and it all came to head to a head, at least in the Gospel of John, after the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Do you remember that? It was causing quite a stir. And there were lots of people that started to say, who is this guy? He just raised Lazarus from the dead. And a bunch of people started to follow him. And the Jewish leaders said in John 11:48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So you see, the Jews were living underneath the political authority of the Romans. Yet the Romans did give the Jews at least some measure of authority to to govern some of their own affairs. And as they did that, they would set up some leaders, or or they gave authority to some Jewish leaders to govern their own affairs. So these Jewish leaders, you can kind of picture them as being, they were over the Jews, but they were underneath the Romans. So they actually had a a pretty decent position in their minds, and, and in their minds, they didn't want to rock the Roman boat. And if some guy comes up and says he's a king and he might start to cause a rebellion or insurrection, those Jewish leaders said, whoa, 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 wait a second. We don't want Rome looking at us funny. So you just be quiet over there. These Jewish leaders didn't want Jesus to cause a stir. And furthermore, they were upset that Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God. At least two other places in the Gospel of John, the Jews tried to kill Jesus for claiming to be the Son of God. Another place, in John 8:58 they tried to kill Jesus. That's the one where, where Jesus said before Abraham was born, excuse me, before Abraham was born, I am. It was a claim of divinity. He was claiming to be there when Abraham was alive, even before Abraham was alive. And the Jews rightly understood that as a claim of divinity, but they didn't believe him. The Jewish leaders saw Jesus as a blasphemous, blasphemous threat whom the whole world was going after. And then also, the Jewish leaders had envy. And I, I was reading in Mark, in my own personal devotions this week, and I, something stood out to me there. 
said, Pilate knew that the reason that they handed Jesus over was out of envy. So these Jewish leaders were envious of Jesus. The whole world was going after him, they said, and they were afraid that they were going to lose their place. If Jesus were allowed to continue to live, more and more people would follow him and they would lose their power. So these Jewish leaders were looking out for themselves. And what they did is they charged Jesus with blasphemy and sedition. A religious claim and a political claim. They wanted him dead, but as it said in chapter 18, in order for that to happen, or at least in order for the crucifixion to happen, they needed to hand him over to Pilate. So they needed Pilate's approval to get that kind of an execution. So they came up with this charge of religious blasphemy and Pilate kind of wasn't having it. And then they came up with this other charge, the one, one where they suggested that Jesus was an opposing king. They thought maybe, maybe Pilate will be scared if we say that he's a king and he's going to upset Israel and Rome. Now the way John writes this gospel, the theme of Jesus as king starts to stand out. In chapters 18 and 19 especially, you see Jesus as king. And he is king. We know that now. We know that he's the son of God whom God sent to be our king. But here, at the trial, the Jewish leaders say, we have no king but Caesar. Strange thing for them to say. Should have said, we have no king but God. Instead, what they say here, we have no king but Caesar. That's how bad they wanted Jesus dead. That they would go so far as to say that. Now, all this is in fulfillment of what John said earlier in 111. Jesus came to that which was, own, <coughs> that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Instead of receiving Jesus as king, the Jewish leaders handed him over to be crucified. So did Jesus deserve to die? The Jewish leaders' answer was a resounding yes. Let's move on to the second one. Uh, but before I do, I want to ask you a question. Did you ever want to be a judge? Was that ever a, a job that was appealing to you? I remember in ninth grade civic class, they, the teacher plopped down this box, and in that box were a bunch of descriptions of a bunch of different kinds of jobs, and we had to pick three out and write a report on them. And, and I picked lawyer, umpire, and judge. Um, yeah, I'm kind of similar. Umpire and judge. I guess I wanted to stand over people and say, you know, you're out, or you're guilty, or, you know, whatever it was. I guess there was something about me as a ninth grader that just wanted to judge. But, um, did you ever want to be that person that difficult cases would be brought before you and you would have to make your decision? Well, that's where Pilate stood. So the, the second perspective we're going to take is from the perspective of Pilate. We're going to see Pilate's answer to this question, did Jesus deserve to die? Pilate was the Roman governor in charge of the area, including Jerusalem. Now, he himself was also a man underneath authority because he was underneath Caesar. So Pilate was set over the Jews but underneath Caesar. And he had a bit of a, a tricky situation here because he had to concern himself with the affairs of the Jews and figure out what was going on. He needed to figure out when to step in, when to tamp down any rebellion, but also he needed to you know, let them do what they needed to do so that they didn't rebel. But also he had to think about what Rome wanted and impose Rome's wishes on the Jews when need be. It, it was a difficult job for him. Even more so because during Jesus' day, there were a lot of Jews who didn't like Rome. There were a lot of Jews who were waiting for a Messiah who would come and overthrow Rome. So when the Jews came to Pilate with what they called a criminal, 
he had to figure out what to do with this sticky situation. Now at first it looks like Pilate sized Jesus up, kind of looked at him and said, that guy, really? A king? Come on. This matter doesn't, doesn't concern me. You, you go and figure this out on your own. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against this man. In fact, three times Pilate says the same thing. I find no basis for a charge against him. It could be also translated, I find no case against him, or I find no guilt in him. If this man were merely on trial for claiming to be a religious leader, that didn't concern Pilate. What did he care about what some Jewish guy said about God? But the Jews were persistent. So what Pilate did is he had Jesus flogged. And I read a couple of people this week that said perhaps what Pilate was thinking there was if I flog him, maybe that'll be enough for the Jews. And then maybe we can just let this whole thing go. We can let him go and just be done with it. But then the Jews said something that did concern Pilate. In verse 7, they said that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And John tells us in verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Why was Pilate afraid? This man, that he looked at him at first and was like, what? Are you kidding me? This guy? Come on. And now, a few verses later, he's afraid. Well, we learn from another gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, that Pilate's wife had a dream and she said she suffered a great deal in that dream because of that innocent man. Maybe that was the case. Well, perhaps Pilate was starting to get concerned that Jesus wasn't just a religious nutcase. What if he really was the Son of God? Maybe those sorts of things were starting to run through Pilate's mind. So Pilate took Jesus aside and asked him where he came from. But this time Jesus didn't answer. Now I would say that Jesus had already answered him back in chapter 18. Jesus before Pilate said that his kingdom was from a different world, not of this world. But Pilate was perturbed that Jesus didn't answer this time, and he said to him in verse 10, Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? That's an important statement because Pilate, in his own words, proved that he knew that he had to make a decision one way or the other. But then Jesus chimes in. He was silent, but then, after Pilate says that, he chimes in. In verse 11 he says, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus is speaking of an even higher authority. He's not just trumping and going to Caesar. He's going all the way up to God. And it looks like Pilate is troubled now. And think about all that's going on for Pilate. He doesn't want to upset the Jews because if the Jews are upset and they cause a rebellion, that looks bad for Pilate. But also he has to think about Rome. If this guy really is a king and he just lets this king go and and do his kingly thing and and lead the people in rebellion, then Rome is going to be upset with him. But also, perhaps, now, and we don't know what's going on in Pilate's mind, but also perhaps he's maybe thinking that this guy really is who he says he is. And if so, what does that mean for me? So what's Pilate to do? Well, it's hard to judge his motives, but it, it looks like he wanted it both ways. He wanted to placate the Jews and not have a rebellion on his hands. But at the same time, maybe he wanted to honor God. And certainly he wanted Rome not to have any problems. In verse 5, Pilate merely said, here is the man. That's when he was kind of just trying to get rid of him. Here's the man. But in verse 14 he says, here is your king. 
Did Pilate have a change of mind? Did Pilate agree that Jesus is the king? Well, I don't know. It's one of those interesting questions. Is Pilate in heaven? You know, did Pilate repent? And Listen, I'm not going to be the ju- I'm not a judge. My ninth grade experiment with being a judge is over. I'm not going to judge Pilate one way or another, uh, his eternal destiny at least. But what I will say is that was the question that Pilate needed to deal with. Is Jesus the king or not? Pilate made a choice then. He had to make a choice one way or the other. He even said so. His choice was to send Jesus to be crucified. He sent him to face the punishment of the common criminal, the brutal torture of the cross, being left up there for hours to die. It looks like perhaps in some way, maybe Pilate didn't want that, but in the end, he made his choice. So did Jesus deserve to die? Pilate's answer ended up being yes. Let's look at that question from a different perspective now. And number the third point on your bulletin there is God's answer. What did God think about all this? Did Jesus deserve to die? Now God is the ultimate judge. He sees everything and he judges wisely. And as I think again about the, the Trayvon Martin case down in Florida, there we have bits and pieces of it. We have a nine one one call here, we have a witness here. We have a, a videotape here of what the guy looked like afterwards. But, but we don't know all the information. We didn't see what happened. But God, the ultimate judge, he sees everything that happened. And by the way, God will ultimately judge rightly in the Trayvon Martin case too. Now we hope that our authorities get it right here on earth. But we know that God sees everything and he will judge wisely. So what about in the case of the crucifixion of Jesus? What did God say about that? Well, first of all, let's see what Scripture says about Jesus and sin. In Hebrews 9.14, the Bible says that Jesus was unblemished, that when he offered himself as an offering, he was perfect, spotless, nothing wrong with him. In 2 Corinthians, it says that he had no sin. And in Hebrews 4, it says that he was without sin. So there was no crime here. By any measurement of justice that we could come up with, Jesus did not deserve to die. Even so, even though Jesus knew that, and even though he was God himself, he offered himself willingly. He didn't have to let himself be arrested. He could have stopped the process by calling on legions of angels. He could have stopped the crucifixion too. He could have done some miracle to get himself down from there. But he didn't. He chose to go through with the plan of dying for our sins. This was God's plan from before the creation of the world. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God knew that this would happen and Jesus willingly offered himself, willingly came to earth to die for our sins. At his last breath, Jesus cried out, It is finished. And and do you know what that means? It's that word that means paid in full. What's been paid in full? The penalty for our sins. So we know that anybody who receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and King is set free from sin and can have eternal life. Now how do we know that that's God's perspective on all this? Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's the clincher here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead proves 
his blamelessness and proves his claim to be king. And by the way, as we think about apologetics, as we think about coming up with answers for why we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, why we're Christians, and whether we're thinking about that answer for ourselves or as we try to answer other people as well, I think that the resurrection should be one of the first things that we talk about. More and more I'm convinced that as we talk about the power of a risen Christ, that that there's more power there than, than we even know. Everything else hinges on that. If that tomb still had a dead body in it, and that dead body was found out to be Jesus, we shouldn't be here today. We'd have better things to do on a Sunday morning than to get up and come to church if Jesus is still dead. But because Jesus is alive, it changes everything. And by the way, there's lots and lots and lots of good historical evidence to show that Jesus Christ still is alive. So I just kind of say that as, a, as an aside. But as we're talking to others, or even as we're trying to convince ourselves, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, more and more for me, is the clincher. But I want to show you something now specific about the resurrection of Jesus. And it shows us the reason for all the stuff that happened on Good Friday. I want to skip ahead to John 20. This is after Jesus had been killed and buried and risen again, and now he's appearing to his disciples. In John 20:19, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus, rising from the dead, coming back to his disciples to deliver an important message. He says, peace be with you. In fact, he repeats himself right there in verse 21. And then a week later in verse 26, he says the same thing again. Peace be with you. Why peace? Because Jesus' death was for a purpose. In Isaiah 53, 5, we see this important statement. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. We're talking about justice and punishment today. Jesus, an innocent man, was condemned to die a brutal death. And it wasn't just in that sense. He had no sin. He didn't deserve to die for it. God's answer was that Jesus didn't deserve to die, but Jesus willingly offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And in one sense, it was for justice. Don't get me wrong on that. He didn't deserve to die, but at the same time, he died for justice. He died so that our sins could be paid for, so that God's justice could be poured out, his wrath could be poured out on sin. So yes, there's that part of the justice, but there's the injustice in that it was a sinless man who died for us. It's there that the penalty of our sins was paid. At the cross, God punished our sin, but he did it to bring us peace. So I want you to see that. We're looking at the story from the perspective of justice. At least that's the way that I've wanted you to see it today. Did this Jesus deserve to die? Why would a a perfect man die for us? That's not right. It doesn't make sense in that way. Well, I want you to see that God did it for a reason, and the reason is for peace, to bring us peace with God. We hate it when an injustice happens. We get outraged when justice isn't done. Why is it that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him? Think of it this way, and this might be hard for some of you to to think about, but uh, think of a husband 
doing something unwise and offending his wife. Like, okay, just imagine some world where that's possible. This, uh, husband gets wife mad at him. Now, for me, I would want to make it up to my wife. I was, okay, okay, I know. I did something I shouldn't have done. I tell you what, I'll make it up to you. I will do the dishes every day for the next month. Okay? Will that, will that help bring peace back to our marriage? Well, you see what I'm trying to do there? I'm trying to say that the punishment that brings me peace is on me. I did something wrong. I want to be the one who bears the punishment for it in hopes that it will bring, bring peace back to our marriage. Why then, in this situation with Jesus, why does our punishment fall on him? If Jesus didn't deserve to die, why would he? Brings me to our fourth point today. Fourth perspective I want to look at this from is our answer. Our answer. Did Jesus deserve to die? Hopefully you all know that the answer is no. He did not deserve to die. Because if we look at the situation, we realize that we are the sinners. And the penalty for sin is death. Therefore, who deserves to die? Us. We deserve it. But Jesus, in his mercy, stepped in and took that penalty upon himself. Therefore, any of us who receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and King can be set free from our sins and can have an eternal relationship with God. It's been said that the Gospel of John is written like a trial. As you first read the Gospel of John, it looks like a trial where Jesus is on trial. And the question is, is he the King or not? But upon further examination, you look at the Gospel of John and you realize it is a trial, but the person on trial is us. And the question is the same. Is Jesus the king or not? God knows that Jesus is king. He didn't need Pilate to give his verdict on that issue. The question then is for us. Is Jesus the king or not? And we all are like Pilate in one sense. The case has been brought to our attention and we are the ones that need to give our verdict on it. But just like Pilate had a lot of things running through his mind, so we have a lot of different things pulling us in different directions. If I claim that Jesus is king, that means that I'm not king. If I claim that Jesus is king, that means that people around me are going to see that Jesus is my king. Pilate wanted to have it both ways when he came to this decision. He sentenced Jesus to death, yet he said in Matthew 27, I am innocent of this man's blood. He said, this man doesn't deserve to die, uh, but I'm going to send him to death anyways, but I'm innocent of his blood. The people responded, listen to this. This is one of the most ironic verses in the Bible. They said, let his blood be on us and on our children. It's ironic because if only they knew what it meant to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Instead, they shared in shedding his blood. So the decision, decision stands before us. Is Jesus king or not? God's already given his answer. God doesn't need us to confirm the fact that Jesus is king. He knows, but he wants us to make the decision. And we need to realize that eternity is in balance here. If Jesus is king, what should we do? That, that's where I'm going with this question. That the decision has been set before us. We're on trial. Is Jesus the king or not? What's your answer? And I want to now suggest to you some things that you should do if Jesus really is your king. 
And, and the short and simple answer is humbly submit to him. Worship him. Live in his kingdom. And, and first of all, what that means is that we pledge our lives to him, recognizing Jesus as Savior and ourselves as sinners. And that really should be an easy step for any of us because we know that we're sinners. And then when we see the offer of life that Jesus gives, we should rejoice at the fact that he is our Savior. And then we pledge our lives to him as Lord and King. And what that means is that we live every day of the rest of our lives for him and him alone. God's plan in all of this was to bring us peace. Our sin gets in the way, so we need to flee from it and flee, run towards God, towards Jesus. But when we do that, we realize that Jesus didn't deserve to die. That's the, that's the interesting part about Christianity. The offer of life looks so good, and then we accept it, and then we realize he didn't deserve to die. He did that for me. There was an injustice there. Yet it's that injustice which Jesus humbly submitted to that brought about our peace. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. That's Isaiah 53.5 again. Maybe that's one that you should, uh, if you're a person who writes in your Bible, you should underline that one. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The pronouns are wonderfully mixed up in that verse. Again, we would think the punishment that brought us peace was upon us. It says earlier in that passage, we all like sheep had gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own ways. The punishment that brought us peace was upon... Come on, give it to me. What, what's my punishment? Tell me. How can I make it up to you? God, how can I make it up to you? You can't. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So did Jesus deserve to die? No. But I'm glad he did. The message of Easter is that God loves us so much, us sinners so much, that he sent his son to rescue us from what we could have never gotten out of ourselves. And God had something more than just justice and punishment in mind. If all that God wanted to do was to punish sin and bring about justice, there was a way that he could have done that. Could have wiped us out, could have sent us to hell forever. But God loves us so much that he wanted to bring us, what did Jesus say when he saw his disciples? Peace. Three times. Peace. Peace. So did Jesus deserve to die? No, but I am glad he did. I am so glad that he did that I will joyfully submit the rest of my life to living with him as my king. Now that means that I don't live according to my ways anymore. You see, there are two ways that people who call themselves Christians can take this message. One way is to say, oh good, I'm glad that Jesus died for my sins and I can have peace forever. But that whole thing about you know, living every day of the rest of my life for him, that seems a little bit much, doesn't it? Everything in moderation, right? The other way to take it, and I hope that this is the way that we all take it, is that we gladly submit our lives to Jesus, recognizing him as our Lord and our King, and joyfully saying to him every day, what do you want me to do today? The message of Easter is that Jesus died for us 
and our response is to give our lives to Him. Galatians 2.20, I said it last week, and I'm going to preach again on it next week. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, the message of Easter isn't just that Jesus died, it's that we died with Him too. And it's not just that Jesus rose again from the dead, it's that we also are raised to new life with Him. And the life that we live, we are to live by faith in the Son of God. Next week I want to talk about what it means to do that every day. But for now, my hope and my prayer is that you willingly confess that Jesus is King and you submit your lives to Him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are our King. We thank you that you went through what you went through on the cross. And and we're sorry for that, Lord. We know that it wasn't just the Jewish leaders and Pilate who sent you there. We know that it was our sin. That if it was merely an injustice done to you by people 2,000 years ago, that the Father could have made it right and rescued you from that. But we praise you because you had something far bigger in mind, the forgiveness of our sins and our eternal life, that we might have peace with you. So we praise you for what you went through. And I pray that you would teach us all how to live with you as king every day of the rest of our lives. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Help us to honor you with the lives that we live, worshiping you and glorifying you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.